The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. You're listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Fascinating interviews and compelling conversations. Be present. The Diane Ray Show. Hello and welcome to the show today. Happy New Year, everybody. We are back. We're back live today uh, after a fabulous holiday. I hope you guys had a great break. Um, I certainly did. It's always nice to have some time off. I got to go home to Florida and spend a little time with my family and hang out with them and eat way too much food and catch up with everybody. So it, it was it was really awesome. And I hope you had a really great break too. So today we're like back into it, right? Back into the saddle, starting a new year. And that's why I'm really happy with my guest today and the information that we're going to share because I think she's really going to be able to help you to uh, get clear on some things. I really enjoyed the book. So I'm welcoming my guest, Dr. Denora Nieves. And Denora is a behavioral scientist, personal development coach, and consultant for Owns a Yanla Fix My Life, which I think is definitely the best show on that network. I mean, I've yes. got it DVR'd. <laughs> you agree, right? <laughs> It's amazing. Denora counsels young women and girls in all social circumstances who feel they are stuck in life and relationships. Who hasn't felt that, right? I just finished her book. It's called Love You, 12 Ways to Be Who You Are and Love Who You Are. And she shares a unique program to help women untangle their limiting beliefs and fears. Transforming the relationship you have with yourself is the first step to shifting relationships with others. And I really enjoyed the book. So welcome, Denora. Did I say your last name right? Nieves, is that right? Nieves, yeah. No, you got it. Go for it, Diane. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) My Spanish is is lacking, which is such an embarrassment because uh, my sister, all of her her in-laws and her husband is Cuban, and they all speak Spanish, and I'm I'm the odd man out. So I've got to work on this. Now, speaking of Spanish now... Yeah, help me, please. Um, (laughs) Now, the book I have here is the special edition Latina version. Now, I think all women, regardless of of whether they're Latina or not, will definitely benefit by reading this book. But I did want to bring up the fact that this is the Latina version. And I just wanted to ask you, first of all, just to talk about some of the unique challenges that Latin women face and why that you wanted to have a special Latina version of this book, why you felt that was important to address. Yeah, absolutely. So I put out the book in 2017, Love You, 12 Ways to Be Who You Love and Love Who You Are. And I think it was a message that spanned across um, gender and class and and ethnicity and socioeconomic status. Um, And I've worked with clients across those those areas, and I've seen all of it come up for all of them. So that was a, a sort of general call to action for people who are feeling stuck, who don't 
feel worthy of healthy love or don't know the first thing about how to secure it, that sort of thing. And then the more conversations I had with people, and Iyanla was actually a big uh, supporter of that, the more that I started to feel like, okay, there's a need for us to look at how culture plays a role in making us believe the things that we believe or think the ways that we think. I, I don't think that this is a issue that's unique to Latinas at all. But in the Latina edition, what I talk about is how it shows up for us, right? So I have, you know, Italian friends and Nigerian friends and friends of all kinds of ethnicities, and they all face the same thing. It's like, at some point, I learned that I wasn't as important as other people. And I made my entire life about getting other people, having other people, making other people happy, making other people think I'm valuable, helping other people want me or figuring out how to get them to love me or all this stuff. And it's all externally focused. And um, for us, it comes up in things like novelas, right? And, you know, huge community families where um, it's all about really being a group and and looking at the larger community piece of the family as opposed to what benefits each individual. So in the Latina edition, you will see how those kinds of things show up for Latinas. And I think Latinas will will relate to, you know, the salsa songs that are all about the the white knight and, you know, the many novelas that are all about the fairy tale romance and, and all of these other pieces. But certainly it's not unique to us. And and you'll see throughout the book, as you saw, Diane, that I think these themes resonate with most people. Oh, I think they will, too. Absolutely. And I did think it was interesting where you kind of shown the spotlight on your experience, you know, as a Latina woman. And then I w as I was thinking about it when I was reading the book, because my, my sister is not Latin, but her husband is Cuban. And so, you know, I was just home for the holidays and I see like it's the big family and, and everybody's in everybody's business. And, you know, it, <laughs> it, it's interesting. It was interesting to see that. Yeah, I can see where different so things would come up. trauma laugh that I just put in there. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you, under, you understand a lot of that too. So yeah, it is interesting to kind of focus that lens on that particular experience. And I, and I could see some of that uh, through her. But also when you share your own life and your own stories, I mean, I can definitely relate to a lot of that. And I'm sure every woman that reads the book will be able to relate to a lot of the challenges that you face just as a woman you know, aside from being a Latin woman, but just going through some of the things that you shared very honestly in the book about your own relationship struggles. And oh my gosh, if I could go through, you know, all of my bad relationships and, you know, air, air out my mistakes, I mean, we can all <laughs> definitely relate to that. And so I wanted to ask you, you know, after I read through, through some of those experiences that you had, you know, if you could go back in time to your younger 20 something self, you know, what would you like to say to her? You know, that's an interesting question that I get asked quite often. And and I still don't have a good answer. You know, my romantic philosophical version of the answer is, you know, I tell her that she really needs to get to know herself and that when she begins to love herself, the bar for who she attracts and who she enjoys will get set so much higher. Right. Um, that's the that's the sort of mature cognitive answer. But the truth is, there's probably nothing I could go back and tell her that would change anything she would do, because I think that there's a there's a profound um, experiential piece of learning 
that I had to go through to be able to really enjoy who I am. Um, and it meant learning from the contrast of people who maybe weren't the best match for me or moments where I wasn't really good to myself. Um, and so, I, yeah, I wish I could say I didn't need to go through all of that. But the fact is, if I didn't need to go through it, I wouldn't have. And and I think I did. I needed to go through all of it. And I came out of the other end so much stronger and so much better for it. So I think I'd probably go back and tell her, keep doing what you're doing and you'll figure it out. Yeah, that's true. I mean, really, if and, and if I think to myself, too, if I could go back, you know, and zip back in time in my time machine and say, hey, what are you doing? Would I listen? No, probably <laughs> not. You know, I would say, oh, what do you know? I know what I'm doing, you know, butt out. And you're right, like, we have to go through all of those situations that are placed in our path to become the people that we are today. And when I was thinking about that, asking you that question, I thought to myself, well, what would I say? You know, what would I say to myself? Like, I wish I could go back to myself when I was, you know, slinging hash in the various restaurants I worked at and say, hey, you know, do you realize this is what you're going to be doing, you know, when you're in your, your 30s, 40s and 50s? And I would have I would not have believed it. So, yeah, there is definitely something to going uh, through the experiential uh, thing, you know, that we have to yeah. get through that to get to where we are today. So but it, it's interesting, like when you look back, you know, do you think your 20 something self could imagine, you know, where you are now? No, never. I, I don't never. I don't know. <laughs> when I was balled up in a corner crying hysterically, waking up at two in the morning with my nightmares of getting, you know, murdered because I had been in bed watching Law and Order marathons for 48 hours straight, you know, trying to cope with what it meant to be alone physically as a woman in an urban center, um, the vulnerability of being physically alone, and then the the emotional um, uh, raw sort of um, paralysis of being alone internally, right? Of not really knowing myself, not having a partner that I felt attached to romantically, being away from my family for the first time in a substantial way, and just like wanting to, to cry until either someone came to my rescue or I evaporated into nothing. <laughs> That's basically right. what it was like. You know, I could have never in the midst of that imagined like, oh, girl, not only are you going to love you, everybody's going to love you. <laughs> like, I never would have thought that. I never in a million years would have thought that. Or nor would I have imagined that there was some larger value to my experience that, you know, I now recognize in the book that so many people could benefit from reading that experience and seeing themselves in it and being able to work through some of their issues as they read me working through mine. I couldn't have made sense of any of that back then. And, that, you know, that's why they say hindsight is twenty twenty, right? But in the moment, the, the loneliness and the fear can just be so blinding. That's so true. And I want to dig into that a little bit because loneliness, and you talk about that a lot in the book, it, that was mm -hmm. a relationship, you said, it was almost like an addiction. A, a, mm -hmm. You were so comfortable with that feeling, right? And and we know now, like through um, brain science and a lot of the things that we're finding out about neuroplasticity, like your brain actually does become wired to where you are kind mm -hmm. of addicted to that feeling, right? But especially for women, I think loneliness, it's such a trigger because 
oh my God, what's worse than being home alone on New Year's Eve? Mm-hmm. I, I have, you know, I have no date. Mm-hmm. It's like the biggest horror for so mm-hmm. many women. Or Right. Valentine's Day, we're inundated with all of those messages that you're not complete unless you have someone else. Or, you know, I've even had women friends say, like, how weird that I would go to a movie by myself, you know, but I've done that before. If there was something I wanted to see, I would just go. And so many women that I have come across or friends, like, I would never do that, or I would never go to a restaurant by myself. Like, we are really afraid, you know, that's a huge thing to be alone. Yeah, and no, I, I talk about it t- in the book. Tell me the a little about are amazing, yeah. right? Now, the, the study that I quote in the book talks about how 98% of the people they surveyed um, claimed they would feel worthless if they were alone. I mean, that that correlation in and of itself is so powerful, right? That we attach worth to company, to that we attach our worth to an attachment to another human being, right? And that in the absence of that, there's something inadequate about us and the way that we internalize what loneliness means about who we are and, and what we're worth and what value we contribute to the world. It's, it's so packed, right? Just unpacking that is, is so much work. And that same study talks about how a big chunk of even those people said they'd rather be with people that were not even good for them or that they didn't want to be with as opposed to being alone. So that even it's not even about attaching ourselves to someone who compliments us or someone who we feel aligned with or who shares our vision. I mean, all of those pieces of a healthy relationship are sort of to us the, the dream. But the bare minimum is just be with someone else so that you feel and seem right and appear to be a valuable person in the social world. That is amazing, demoralizing, profound, astonishing, disgusting, <laughs> all at the same right, time. All those things. You know? Exactly. And I, I think it's it's starting to change. I mean, I would hope so. And that's why you're, I think your book is so valuable because I hate to see that when women stay in an, an abusive relationship or go back to someone because, you know, better the devil you know than to be alone what a horror. But then when you really become comfortable with yourself and, you know, you're okay with going to a restaurant or a movie or, you know, you're not uncomfortable, you can be alone, but not lonely. And right. then being able to make that distinction, I think is so important. Definitely important. And I, I really mean what I said earlier is when you become happy alone, when you start to look at being alone as a respite or you look at being alone as um, a gift, right, a, an enjoyable time of the day, um, something that you can be grateful for, that shift in perspective shifts everyone around you because now they have to be better than you being with you just to compete for your time and attention. And it raises the bar in such a way for who you'll leave your house for, who you'll answer your phone for, who you'll make plans with, who you're willing to, I mean, I'm from New York, right? So just who I'm willing to come out in the snow for, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like those kinds of things, right? Become a very different criteria it sets a very different criteria in your life because now you know at some point all you had to do was pick up the phone 
not even call me, just text me and invite me somewhere that was remotely interesting and I would put on a pair of heels. Now, the amount of work it takes for somebody to get me out of my house <laughs> just because I have a whole thing. I have my chai, I have my movies, I have my crochet, right, it's comfortable. I have my journaling, <laughs> I have my art. You know, this is really a good time right here that you got to compete with <laughs> just to get me out. So it really does change the standard for who is in your life in such a healthy way. Absolutely. And you talk about that. I was going to bring that up when, in chapter six. I love this part in the book where you talk about being honest with yourself about mm. your friendships and your connections. And like you're saying, look, when I'm comfortable with myself and I'm okay being home and I'm loving it, I got the TV and, you know, mm -hmm. it's warm, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> and this is all great. Then you are more selective in, in who you spend your time with. Mm -hmm. And I think, and I just wanted to touch on that a little bit with like women in friendships, because, you know, it's so powerful with us. I mean, I know men make friends too, but it seems like women like, I mean, I've known some people for 30 years. I'm sure you have too. you know, people that you have those connections with. But then sometimes and I, and I notice it more like when you move away and you go back home, right? And then you mm -hmm. have those friends that well, over time, you change, they're not changing. And mm -hmm. so your connection is really history. And, mm -hmm. and you enjoy spending time with them, but then you don't really have anything in common as much as you did before. And it just, mm -hmm. I, you know, I guess as you get older and watching those things shift and change, and like you said, who do you really want to spend your time with? You have to be a little, a, a little pickier, right? And you, and you yeah. talk about that being a little more honest about the people you spend time with in your friendships. And I think also not feeling guilty. I mean, I, I'm bi-coastal, so the slew of people I want to get in in my 10 to 12 days on any given coast, right, is always it's, it's always challenging. Mm -hmm. um, I just and, did that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Going back and, to Florida, you know, because I'm here in California. Exactly. So you know what I mean. And I think everybody mm -hmm. feels this. I mean, if it's not because of the bi-coastal, it's because they work long hours. Or if it's not because of the long hours, it's because they're in a relationship. Or if it's not because of that, it's because they have children, right? And so everybody's got something that's pulling at their time. And then they get into these situations where they're in relationships that have sort of expired out of the guilt they feel because they don't want to let go of the relationship and have been the problem, right? Or have been the one that now, you know, other people resent because she's too busy or she thinks she's too good for us or she, you know, she's never around or we can never get her or, you know, all this stuff. And so you build this or let me not say you, I, I used to mm -hmm. build this internal pressure, right, to keep tapped into things that no longer fit in my life or to people that no longer fit in my life because I didn't want to feel guilty about having outgrown some of those relationships. And I didn't want to feel like, well, you know, I'm not better than them and I still love them and I still – and so here I am spreading myself thin or as I like to say, selling myself off for the parts. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'll give you uh, 10 minutes on Tuesday morning at a coffee shop while I'm writing a book proposal, you know, and that's not healthy for the relationships either. And people are not connecting to you. And if anyone understands this, it's you, Diane, you're not present. You're not mm -hmm. present. And you can't be in relationship in a sincere, honest, giving, receiving, helpful, healthy way if you're not present. So sometimes right. you just have to make choices about how to use your presence. And that's a tough thing to do when you start embarking on the path of 
really taking a look at your life and, and making those changes and really going through with it and making the steps, it, it's tough. And I've talked to a lot of women where, you know, they'll say, well, how do I really, how do I approach a, a friend or, or family members are harder, you can't really break up with them. But you know, so, nobody really tells you how to, you know, talk to a, a friend or someone honestly about that. Like, how do you quote, break up with a, a friendship? Uh, you know, it, it's a tough I thing. It depends on what it is, right? If someone does something that's offensive, that's a sort of, to me, that's a call out, right? You have a conversation with them and you're like, check this out. I'm not mad at you or I am, whatever the situation is, but I have a certain way that I like to live my life and I don't feel like your way of living your life and my way of living my life are really in alignment. So we got to figure something else out, right? And that, that might be a, a conversation, but sometimes it doesn't even warrant that. Sometimes it's just people grow apart, you know, and I have found ways to stay in relationship with people and sometimes they don't even know it, <laughs> you know, like I'm still praying for people at night. I'm still envisioning them in white light. I still send them love every chance I get. Every once in a blue, I'll write a handwritten thank you card to them for what the role that they have played in my life. And maybe that's all I can do. And that's where I am. Unfortunately or fortunately, that's what my ability to give looks like right now. I don't overextend myself, but I also don't necessarily cut people off. I just cannot continue to relate to them in the same way I always did. But that doesn't mean the relationship is over. So sometimes you just have to reevaluate and reformulate what the relationship looks like. And right, hopefully and the other change. person is okay with that. Sure. And, and shift over time, you know, things mm -hmm. like, like you said, it, you know, maybe the, the relationship's different. And, you know, you see that with long-term friendships too, you know, after uh, your friends get married and have kids and, you know, then their interests change, your, your life changes. Um, but you can still have them in your life as long as it's something that's, that's beneficial. But I think that also you touched on something too with the guilt, like, I mean, we feel guilty about everything. Yeah. So many things, no, listen, you know, our friendships, I, I, relationships. I'm 38 and I have no children, right? And children are not really in my, I don't, that's not my wheelhouse. <laughs> so I, of course, I'm one of my only peers that doesn't have children, you know, in terms of my larger groups of women I worked with and that sort of thing. And so um, I, there was a guilt around that because for a very long time, then I was the one running around to everyone who had the children because they couldn't get out of the house or they had these schedules they couldn't manage. They were working all the time. And here's what I know to be true about me. Now, I think it to be true about other people too because they've told me, but I know it to be true about me. When I do things out of guilt, I resent it later. I just know it to be true. And I, it'll take a little while and it'll creep up and I'm not really sure why I don't want to answer their calls when I see their name pop up on my phone or why it takes me a little while longer to get them back and I have to sit and ponder. But I know what it is. In the pit of my stomach, I overextended myself out of fear, not out of love. Only two emotions. Guilt is based in fear. Out of fear, I extended myself. And anytime I extend myself out of fear, I'll resent it later because it was sponsored by the wrong energy or by an unhelpful energy. So again, not fully present in the relationship. That's not helpful to right. anyone. Then I'm holding them hostage for something that I resent having done that they never asked me to do <laughs> just because I felt guilty that I had to do it. So I know it's, it's so interesting, right? <laughs> yeah, you finally you're able to let that go. And, and I, I love that you brought that up in the book and you challenge the reader like, 
you know, hey, take a look at this, you know, is is this situation, um, you know, friendship, relationship, is if this is no longer serving you, you know, really be honest with yourself. And you you challenge people throughout the exercises in the book to to really be honest. And I think that's uh, that's a tough thing for for some people to do, you know, to really yeah. ask themselves those hard questions. Well, and in the workbook, you know, so so this year I put out the workbook for um, for Love You, and there's a whole activity based in exactly that. In what are the things that you're not telling people about the relationships that you're in with them, and and what do you really? What are the honest truths that you need to tell to yourself and to them? Because we have so many relationships that are built on lies that we don't even know we're telling. I had so many relationships that were built on lies that I did not know I was telling because I wasn't giving myself permission to have the feelings I was feeling. I was just having whatever feeling I thought was appropriate. <laughs> you know, I, I didn't want to admit that I was mad that people didn't come to see me. I, I just told myself I had to be compassionate and understanding about their situation. And then that meant that I had to be the one to overextend myself because I had more time on my hands. And then I would resent that because not because they did anything wrong, but because I had not given myself permission to be honest about what I was really feeling, which is, hey, I need some attention and I need my energy to be reciprocated and I'm overextending myself and I'm exhausted and I don't want do this anymore. That's a real conversation and, that I needed to have with myself and then with other people and then readjust and then things got great. But while I was lying to myself about how I was mad and why I was mad, I was mad and oblivious about it. Right. Oh, that is that's so true. I, I love that. And and just kind of coming back to the whole, you know, why is it is it's not okay for us to be angry or not okay to feel those feelings? You know, and then we just push it down. So, yeah, we're just we're not being honest. Yeah. And it's OK. It's absolutely OK. I, I have had to learn and I, and I do it all the time now that I can be angry and compassionate. I can have complete and total understanding about what is going on in your your world and still be pissed about how it leaked all over mine. (laughs) Like, that's okay. Those two things can coexist. They are not mutually exclusive, right? And have some level of sensitive accountability and say, you know, this is how I'm feeling and I get this is how you're feeling and I don't think you're intentionally, you know, trying to impact me in the way that you are, but check this out you are, right? Like we can still have those conversations, but for a long time, I didn't know I could. And so I didn't know I could say things like, I don't want to lend you money anymore because I didn't want the person to feel like, you know what, do you not trust me to pay you back? Do you not love me? Do you not see what I'm going through? Like, why wouldn't you want to help me? And then all of a sudden it dawned on me, like I'm not comfortable lending certain people actually most people money right because I don't want that between us in the relationship and I don't want to have to have these ugly tough conversations at the time where they said they'd have it but they might not or maybe they forgot or they're busy or they're this or that right I don't want to do that and so now I can just be like yeah I get that that's tough if there's any way other than lending you money that I can be helpful let me know I'm not really doing that and that's okay Well, we're going to dig a little bit more into this. It's so fascinating. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back with Dr. D, Denora Nieves. Stay with me. All are welcome. We're glad you found us. 
Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. This programming is made possible through the generous donations of listeners like you. If you feel inspired by this programming, we invite you to contribute. Go to unityonlineradio.org and click on Donate to make your offering today. Thank you for your support. Here's a Unity Mindful Moment with Catherine Ponder, taken from a classic talk called The Prosperous Truth, recorded at Unity of Austin in 1991. I heard from a young lady who was just starting out as a Unity minister, and she said, I am not teaching prosperity yet in my ministry because I have not yet demonstrated it in my own life. And I don't think I should teach what I have not demonstrated. And I wrote her back and said, Honey, you've got it all backwards. You need to teach what you want to learn. You teach what you want to demonstrate because you cannot demonstrate what you do not know. There must be an inworking before there can be an outworking. To find out more about Unity Teachings, visit unity.org. For over 23 years, Liz Dunn and the team at Celebrate Your Life have been presenting life-changing events with some of the world's leading spiritual teachers. Experience a Celebrate Your Life event for yourself in 2019. Tickets are available now for the International Women's Summit, March 7th to 10th in Phoenix, Arizona, featuring some of the most inspirational speakers in the realm of mind, body, and spirit. Do something for yourself this year. Go to CelebrateYourLife.com and reserve your space today. What if you could start each day with a positive outlook, remembering you are a divine expression of God? Daily Word is a booklet of daily devotionals offering positivity that's downright contagious. With a print subscription or by email, you can pause to reflect on how to practice spirituality in your human experience. Reading Daily Word takes about a minute a day, so you can feel uplifted every morning. Visit dailyword.com to subscribe. Recovery from addiction can be a lonely experience. Get help and support with Rev. Lonnie Vanderslice, Rev. Dan Beckett, and Spirit of Recovery every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central. Welcome to a place where spirituality and recovery meet. Each week you'll hear stories and topics that are important to the recovery community. Tune in for some lively conversation and join in with your questions and comments. Nearly 21 million people struggle with addiction in America. Reach out and join us here on UnityOnlineRadio.org. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Welcome back to Be Present, The Diane Ray Show. Thanks for joining me after the break. We are back. My guest today is Dr. Denora Nieves, and she's a behavioral scientist, personal development coach, and also a consultant for OWNS, Iyanla Fixed My Life. I love that show. And we were just chatting during the break really quick, and I said, hey, when are you going to be back on that show? Because <laughs> I love that <laughs> show. So you said that you're filming some new episodes? 
Yeah, yeah, we're filming and it's really exciting. We've got some great stuff coming up and um, we're completely unscripted, as I was saying to you. I know that's a little bit of a popular word now, but even some things that's claimed to be unscripted are scripted, but, um, but we're totally unscripted. So I never know when I'm going to be on. I'm really there, um, in the role and function of supporting her as she does her work. And sometimes she will call me in to just provide some additional support when there's upset with a guest or someone needs a little something extra while she's working with someone else, whatever it is. So we'll see, we'll see how things develop. I'm excited. It's exciting. Just the way yeah. that she does her work. I'm I'm such a big fan. I had worked with her previously, um, you know, a few years back uh, at my other, other job. <laughs> and uh, I've, I was always a big fan of hers. And so I, I yeah. love that her TV show is still on. And she just like gets right to the core of stuff. And I love that. And I, and I think you have some of that too. Like she just calls people on their stuff, you know, and we were just talking a little bit about that also before the break, you know, being honest with yourself, you know, maybe having difficult conversations with friends or, or family, um, you know, taking an honest setting, look at at your connections too. Yeah, setting boundaries. I mean, mm -hmm. that's it's such an important skill and we're never taught it and we're almost not even encouraged to use it. Um, but it's, it's an important way of taking care of ourselves, right, is to really have a good sense of what are our boundaries. Where do we start and where do other people end? Where do they start and where do we end? What is the line that really separates us? Because we all are connected. But that doesn't mean we have to be enmeshed. And I think that's a really important distinction for people to to wrap their minds around. And, and it was certainly a learning curve for me. But when I got it, I got it, <laughs> you know, that I can love you and not absorb you at the same time and that you can love me and not have to absorb all of my angst and my issues and my joys and my sorrows that you don't have to take on everything that I am and that I experience as a part of your love for me. It's not expected. It's not encouraged. <laughs> I would stay away from some of those things. Right. Certainly really not healthy, me, you know, Oh, absolutely. And that, that codependent thing, I mean, I, I see that a lot. And with men, too. I mean, not, not only mm -hmm. women, um, like I have a family member now who's just been in this long term codependent relationship. And I know it's difficult to extricate yourself from those things. But it really comes down to a lot of things you're talking about in the book, you know, to love yourself being comfortable with who you are, the, the person that you are and, and moving towards that you know, then you'll be able to get out of those kinds of situations. Yeah. As, as and difficult you, you as know, it it's is. Interesting. You don't even have to work so hard to get out of things. It's funny as you change how things that are no longer good for you seem to start falling away, right? Some of change is really about stopping some of those habits, but some of that change is about just changing yourself, how you think, how you feel, how you move through the world. And you'll see that certain people don't even want to deal with you anymore, or certain things are not even attractive to you anymore. Certain things are not attracted to you anymore because the energy shifts in such a way. I used to tell people like one of the ways that I knew things had changed for me is because things had to be bad for me to leave in a relationship, in a job, whatever the situation was, I had to reach a boiling point and then I would go. I wouldn't stay if it was abusive, but it had to get to suffering, right? And then as I started to change, I realized things had to be great just for me to stay. They didn't even have to get bad anymore. If they weren't great, I was out. 
<laughs> because it just yeah. wasn't worth the time and energy that it took. And so I think some of that stuff, it sounds so difficult to change your life. But if you just start changing the way you even think about yourself, your life starts to change with it, you know? Exactly. I love that because I, one of the questions I was going to ask you is, you know, do you think we have to hit rock bottom before we can create real change? And you're saying not really, you know, once once you start moving in that direction, you start changing, then you see those situations, it doesn't have to get like you said to, you know, an abusive situation or something like that. So you don't have to get to the bottom of the well you know, necessarily. I mean, I know yeah. it does stimulate change a lot of times at first, but I mean, you don't really have to have all that suffering, right? It doesn't have to yeah. be that way. The first thing you have to change is how you learn. That's the first thing, or let me not say that. That was the first thing for me. The first thing I mm -hmm. had to change was how I learned. Did I need to bang my head against the wall a thousand times to get every lesson? Or could I really look at something for the lesson it presented, incorporate it and move on? That was, that was one of the first things. Then once you change that, now your way of learning has changed. So then we're in that realm that you're talking about now, Diane, where you don't really have to bang your head every time, right? I tell people, do you, are you the kind of person, if you see a hole, and you're likely to fall in the hole and somebody comes over and says, baby, there's a hole there. You, you know, I think you're going to fall. We've been in that hole. It's hard to get out. Are you the kind of person that goes, cool, I'm going to go the other direction? Or do you need to fall in the hole? Like that's a thing you need to know about yourself because it tells you how you learn. And if you're the kind of person that needs to fall in the hole to learn that there's a hole there, then you've probably created some problems with getting out. <laughs> Right. Right. And keep falling in over and over. You, you know, I read a poem about that. And then did you, did you read that poem? You, go, you know, well, I, I don't understand why my life is so messed up, Dr. D. Like, I just I'm always in a hole. Well, did you know it was a hole? <laughs> and you fell in anyway, because you didn't want to believe it was a hole. Right. So figure out how, what are the patterns? What are your patterns? How do you learn? How do you move through the world now? And then you can start to shift some of that so that your learning will be easier. And when your learning is easier and softer, you can continue to learn without the suffering. Right. And I, there was, uh, I was, it makes me think of a poem that I read about the a hole in the middle of the street. Mm. Have you read that? I haven't, but it sounds like my life for a little while. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll I'll send it to you because it, it's a great story. Um, and I know you're uh, a fan of Dr. Wayne Dyer, and I had worked with him yes. for a long time. And it, and it was a story that he had related in one of his talks of, um, you know, how many times you walk down the street, you see the hole, you fall in. You go down another street, there's another hole, you walk yes. around it. You know, it's like like how many times yeah. you have to fall in before, yeah. you know, you get some real change going. That's great. So yeah, in part three of- to yourself? Because that's the other thing, you know, I, that I talk to people about all the time, right, taking yourself off mute, that we have these, these inner voices, we have this intuition. And so you'll go into a situation and nine times out of 10, you knew, you knew there was a hole there. Nobody had to tell you, you knew it, you felt it in your gut, you had, a, you know, some sense, either it was some sort of, you know, spiritual um, alignment that gave you some foresight, or you heard from another girl, this guy was a problem, <laughs> right? Like either way, there was something that told you and you ignored it. 
And so that's another piece of looking at how you learn and starting to shift that is how often do you listen to your intuition? How, how, how reliable are you in your own life? How much of an authority are you in your own life? How much power do you have over how you move through your life? And how much of you do you ignore for the sake of trying to make something else work? Right. That's so great. I'm so glad you brought that up. I was going to ask you about that because in part three of the book, you know, you share some real uh, steps that people can take to make real change with their thoughts and their behaviors. And you talk about mm -hmm. IPP or intuitive precognitive mm -hmm. prophecy. I had never heard that term. That's really interesting. But yeah, I, I, I love I what you're saying about how Oh, you did. <laughs> That's a good one. But it, it makes so much sense because you're so right. I mean, we I mean, I've, I've talked to so many people that are, you know, psychics, mediums, and, and everyone thinks that they have this magical power. And we all have that magical power. And I really believe that. And even those people, some of the best psychics and mediums will tell you that we do. And we mm -hmm. so often just ignore it. Mm -hmm. It's so crazy. We really do know what, you know, what's right and wrong, or most of us do. Like we, we yeah. have that feeling and we ignore it to our own peril to make other people happy. Right. Or to feed this idea that we don't deserve anything good, because that's the other piece of it, right? We feel worthless or we feel unworthy and um, of, of the bigger things, of the good job, of the big amounts of money, of the wonderful, healthy relationship. We convince ourselves it's fantasy. It's not going to happen or, or we never worked hard enough for it or it's not for us or I don't know, all these other things we come up with. And so then we talk ourselves out of our dreams, right? We convince ourselves we don't deserve it. And so we'll settle. And we'll attract the, the substandard, we'll attract the mediocrity, we'll attract the life that we claim we don't want, and we'll settle for it. And we'll, we'll just fight tooth and nail, claiming that we want something better, but we don't believe we deserve something better. So we're settling for the thing we deserve, even though it's not the thing we want. <laughs> You know, right. and then and you're banging against, you know, your head against the wall on that one, too. So that's the other piece of it is really, do you believe yourself to be worthy? Have you have you really looked inside of yourself and seen yourself for the grandeur and the and the phenomenal um, compilation of blessings and gifts and unique experiences that you actually are? Do you know how amazing it is that every second of every moment of every day of your life intersected in such a way that you are the only, only person in the world that knows the things that you know, does the things that you do, and can bring to the world the fullness of who you are. Have you embraced how amazing that is? Because that right there mm -hmm. will set you up for a whole different circle of people. You know, right. And most people would say what, you know, I've never I've never even thought like that or even thought yeah. about that. Now, I want to tell the listeners, since I mentioned IPP, and they're probably thinking, what is she talking about? Yeah, intuitive yeah. precognitive prophecy? Could you give us a, a definition? 
Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk IP. So the IP is something that I came up with to do with my clients, and I put it into the book. It's called the Intuitive Precognitive Prophecy. Intuitive because it really comes from inside of you. Um, it's not externally based. It's really an internal sort of guiding system, right? So it's intuitive. It's precognitive because it exists before your thinking. It's not about your cognitive ability to plan, to strategize, to think up. Up, right it's it's precognitive it came into your being before you even began thinking in the way that you think now and then prophecy because it's foresight it it is uh, an end that was existing in the beginning right and so when you sit and you really think about your life can you tap into your intuitive precognitive prophecy the the piece of you that knows inside of you and has always known before you even started to think about it who you are meant to be what you are meant to contribute what this world will benefit or what ways this world will benefit from you right that's your intuitive precognitive prophecy. And if you can tap into that, if we can tap into that, because I do this work actively, right? I'm not, I'm not an authority. I'm a suggester, <laughs> right? I'm right. constantly doing this, right? If we can tap into this, it, it really gives us such a peace because it allows us the freedom of knowing that it will happen, whatever your it is, right? Whatever the job is, whatever the romantic relationship is, whatever whatever that thing is that feels unattainable sometimes because you can't see how it'll happen, just knowing it's a prophecy, not a dream, not a goal, not an aspiration, a prophecy, it'll happen. It'll happen and it'll happen not as a result of your efforting and your strategizing and all of that other stuff. It'll happen because you deserve it, because you were born into it, because you were born for it, because you were born to do it. And so there's no way it cannot give way. And just strengthening that some great ways. I mean, do you write things down and, and journal it or Absolutely. I mean, how can you make and make that real? How does yeah, that work absolutely. for you? Absolutely. There's a lot of different things that you can do. I have a um in the book I have sort of a guided exercise that you can really journal your way through to start to figure out what is it that I know to be true about myself that I never really allowed myself to imagine or that I've not allowed myself to speak. What did I want to be when I was younger or what are the things that I can see myself doing when I'm not anxious, right? When I'm not in this eagerness about how the how, because the how is what messes us up, right? What, what's the what? When I can detach from the how, what's the what I can envision? So there's some exercises in the book that you can do for that. Um, and then I have, uh, I have an app where you can get some guided visualizations that'll help you in that regard as well. The other thing that I talk about all the time is gratitude. You know, it's interesting, and I don't know that people always connect the two, but listing the things that you are grateful for is such an easy way to access the things that you are meant for. And oftentimes when I sit and I gratitude list all of the things that I'm grateful for, the path to where I'm going becomes so much clearer because I can look back on this list and 
very tangibly in a very concrete way, see all of the things that have made me feel good about life. And that's all of us ever want, right? That's what, that's all that any of us ever want, I should say. And so when I look back at the things that have brought me that level of joy, what to do next is clear, usually something on the list, <laughs> right? But, but it gives you, it paves the way. It creates a direction for you, and that can really help you access the things that you are most in alignment with, which is often your IP, your intuitive, cognitive prophecy. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, your IP. Thank that you. is that is so great, I, and it know, and it really it works. Me. I mean, there's some energy. <laughs> I don't own it. And you, I channel it. I write it. I'm not responsible. <laughs> and you wrote it down, and people yeah. may dismiss that. Where oh, you know that's, I'm not a writer, that's not going to work. I mean, I've, I've seen it even happen in, in my own life with an exercise. This was over, gosh, like 13 years ago or something. And I, I was seeing a therapist. It was just a difficult time in my life. And she had me do that exact exercise that you're talking about, write it down. And I, I put it on a pad and I like put it in the trunk of my car. And then I was cleaning stuff out like years later. And I saw what I had written and what had actually kind of come true. And that's, and I think too, that just write like actual writing with a pen, not just on your typewriter mm -hmm. or on your computer. I think there's yeah. something about that that makes it makes it powerful or kind of puts it out there in into the web of possibilities in the universe where you're you're going to bring it in. It'll it yeah. can happen, and just giving yourself permission to believe that it will. Yeah, I mean, I I'm a big fan of handwriting as well, um, but I tell people do whatever feels good to you, right? So I will often handwrite, but sometimes I'll find myself in a situation where I have my phone and I don't have a pad, and so I'll put it sure. in the memos. Sometimes I'm in the shower crying because I don't know what thing went wrong for me that morning and I couldn't pull it together, and I'll just on the vapor <laughs> that's being created on my shower, I will just write something I'm grateful for, right? Just to shift to my energy. So it really just depends on, you know, what you have available. I think it's better to do it than not do it. But I think you'll find what the thing is that feels the most natural for you. You know, my niece, she's got a journal for every feeling. <laughs> like I got a scared journal I got an angry journal and I always know I pissed her off when I see her pick up that angry journal right so I think it just <laughs> depends on what you know what is it that works for you what's going to be your style um, but it's about getting it out and having it evident to you so that you can look back on it I think and really reflect not just on how you were feeling but on what what is the contents of what brings joy and what brings angst into your life Right. And just starting that and making it a habit, I think is, is such a great idea and, and so beneficial and, and will and will make shifts. Even if you think, oh, I've, there's nothing I can be grateful for today. You know, my car broke down. I'm unemployed. I'm, I'm this I'm that. I mean, we can list the things that we hate a mile long, you know, but really mm -hmm. picking out, you know, those those little pieces of gold that you are grateful for. And I think even if you're in the worst of circumstance, you could probably find something. I mean, there's got to yeah. be something. I'm grateful I'm breathing today. You know, yeah, you I'm alive. Up. There's I mean sun. There's an atmosphere that you can breathe in. Like you said, there's all kinds of things that's out there, you know, all kinds of things out there for you. And most of your problems are re rooted in something you once prayed for. Right. And the, that's what I try to tell people. All of my problems, every problem I have is rooted in something I once prayed for. I, I once took a bus and a train and prayed for a car. 
So my problem with my car is rooted in something I once prayed for. And I have to be grateful for the prayer having been met. And I deal with the problem that comes with the prayer. You know, my, my man, I can have a million things I want to say about him, but he is the man I prayed for. He is amazing and phenomenal. And so, yeah, sometimes he will throw the laundry on top of the laundry basket instead of in the laundry basket. I don't understand why that's such a problem for that man. He's gifted and talented and smart, but he aims and it goes the wrong place and it pisses me off. But you know what? That's a problem (laughs) that comes from a prayer that I made, (laughs) you know? So you really, there is always something to be grateful for. And most of our problems are rooted in something that we once prayed for. And we just have to remember that. And the gratitude gets clear. That is so true. I never thought of it that way, but that makes a a really good point. And and you talk about that in the book too, you know, about gratitude, paying attention, you know, paying attention to our thoughts. And and this is something I'm really familiar with from, you know, I, I worked at Hay House for 11 years. So we were always told to pay attention to our thoughts. And I spent time with Louise Hay and she would tell you if you said something, that that's, that's a negative thought, you know, why are you saying that? So, you know, being in that environment kind of trained me to do it. But, mm-hmm. e- and even just when I, when I went home and I said, I said to my sister and nephew, he said, Oh, I, I hate this bacon. I don't like it. I go, I said, why do, you have, do we have to hear what you don't like? What did you like? What, what was like making, making that flip? Like, did you like the eggs? You know, mm-hmm, <laughs> you didn't like the bacon, mm-hmm, obviously, mm-hmm. but rather than focus on what you don't like and don't want, and and it's easy for all of us to get in that spiral. But I think you're right. Like you write about in the book, the more that you become aware of of what you're thinking, even something stupid like bacon or, or whatever right. it is that day. Right. You know, you don't if you were hungry, you one day prayed for food. Right. You might like you might like it. <laughs> you yeah. you'd have to eat it. But, you, but yeah, making in your life would have taken that bacon. <laughs> there was some exactly because we have all been there when the meeting went too long <laughs> or something happened and you were so hungry and you just couldn't get to food quickly enough. That was a day you prayed for any kind of food. And that day you would have been really happy with that bacon. Exactly. And just being able to replace those thoughts that come mm-hmm. up. And I think, I mean, have you found just, you know, over time, the more, you become aware of it, like, okay, I'm in, I'm in this space of, you know, I'm, I'm angry at the flat tire or whatever situation that you're in to, to try to replace it. I mean, you know, I had, I had a, just a situation with myself where something went wrong with a computer program over the holiday and I was angry, but then I thought, okay, well, I'm, I'm grateful that someone was there to help me. Like I, I do it myself. Like I, I you have to constantly kind mm-hmm. of be vigilant, I guess, you know, police yeah, yourself, you have to right? Stay mindful. That look, mm-hmm. mindfulness is not a destination. It is a daily consistent practice. And it requires that we stay present, as as you say um, in your show all the time. And it's important that we're constantly doing that work. That is not, well, I shouldn't speak for everyone in the world. I'm sure there are people who have mastered it. I ain't it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that I most I... <laughs> of us are out here doing the work, right? Um, what sets me apart from other people that I work with is not the fact that I'm a master, but that I have figured out what the work is and I've become much more comfortable in doing it. And so it comes more automatically to me and it doesn't take so much of my time, energy and attention to shift my energy back to good. 
but that doesn't mean that I don't have moments that are constantly and consistently like hard or difficult challenges come up and you have to do the work. You just, it's the only way to move forward. Otherwise you stay stuck. And so I tell people all the time, it's okay to have those feelings. Don't shame yourself out of the feeling, right? It's not like, oh, I should be more evolved than this. And so why am I still getting mad about the flat tire? Like, no, be mad about the flat tire. You have absolutely a right to do that. And then breathe. And then think about what you're grateful for. But don't cheat yourself out of the anger. We deserve that too. We just can't stay stuck in the negative emotion, right? But you can say, I don't like the bacon. You just might want to follow it up, but with what, but you know what's really good? The mashed potatoes. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> right. Or the egg. That's what I was like, trying to explain to him, to my right. nephew. He's, he's 11. I don't know if, I don't know if he got it, but yeah, I was, he might. You know, I was you know, saying to him. They never show any indication of having gotten it <laughs> until later. <laughs> right? Like it my might niece take time. Will sometimes say things now that I'm like, I think I told you that. She's like, yeah. <laughs> <Here's a good laughs> they don't, they don't want to let you know and give, give know. you that, you know, little gift. You have to wait. So I, yeah, I might, I might win. hear about that. I love it. I love it. it but it is, it, it's, it's interesting when you start seeing it around you, you know, you're, you're trying to be vigilant in yourself to, you know, watch out of the thoughts that you're thinking and, and the attitude that you have, but you really can make that choice. And, and I've read that with so many other people too, you know, well, we choose, we can choose to be happy. And you think, oh, that's ridiculous. But there, there is a lot of truth to that though. You can make that choice. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's so and at any given moment, it's all about what you're focused on. And that doesn't mean that you don't notice other things, but noticing something and focusing on something are not the same things. And that's what I try to teach my clients, right? You can notice something that got you upset and be in that anger for a second. But if you focus on it too much, you'll stay stuck in it. So you wanna be really mindful about what you focus on because that's what you're gonna be stuck in. So. Right. It's been so cool to talk with you, Denora. We oh, could just be chatting all day. We need to go get some margaritas or something. Yeah, I don't drink, <laughs> I, but I'm always down for a chai, just so you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, I encourage people to go check out your website, denoranieves.com. Pick up the book and look for Denora on Ianla's show. And thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. I'm Laura Worcester, host of the Intuitive Life Podcast. As an intuitive medium and teacher working with the world of spirit, I love to share the peace that comes with the awareness that our departed loved ones are still with us. And I also love to help people explore what it means to live an intuitively led life. Start listening now on mindbodyspirit.fm or wherever you get your podcasts.